Welcome to the Writer's Right Podcast, the show where every writer has the right to speak their mind. I'm your host, Joshua Howe, and as always, we'll be giving attention to the last thing my guest has written and their writing process. Today's guest is a salary cap aficionado, a statistics buff, and a writer at Raptors HQ. It's Daniel Hackett. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. Um, fresh off All-Star Weekend. Um... It was all right. I enjoyed it, uh, but I mean, the All Star Game was definitely the best part. But I don't know. The rest of the weekend was kind of uh, a little underwhelming to me. I don't know. How did you feel about it? Yeah, it's uh, kind of apropos bringing it up with my uh, my articles about Vince, and then we had a, a Vince throwback dunk that was extremely underwhelming. <laughs> yeah, it, contest. yeah, it really was. How did you feel about Mitchell doing it? I mean, like he's not he's not any way related. I know he just wanted to do it because it's cool. But like I was, I kind of felt weird when Terrence Ross had done it like just a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fine. He can do whatever he likes. But if you compare the two dunks, it's not really. He didn't do it. He's he's a lot smaller, so it's, it should be impressive that he even pulled it off. But Vince's dunk, uh, that dunk in particular, there was so much power behind it. If you look at the clips of the dunks. Uh, after, after the ball leaves Vince's hand on that dunk, it fires off the floor at full speed and launches off into the crowd. And, uh, and Mitchell, you know, he, he got to the rim. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was a, a little bit of an odd sensation watching that uh, play out, but uh, more power to him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, Vince, like, floats through the air, and he's just up so high. He makes it look so easy, whereas... Mitchell was like, I, I barely did. He looked like baby Vince. Like, he just just barely got in there. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I'm glad he finished it. It would have been more embarrassing if he'd missed. Uh, that would have been pretty bad. Um, anyway, but, yeah, speaking of Vince Carter, uh, that's the reason I have you on today's podcast. You wrote an article called Question for Toronto to Vince or Not to Vince surrounding the recent talk about Vince Carter becoming a bio, potential bio candidate from the Sacramento Kings and the Raptors having some space um, after the Runo trade to try and get uh, to try and potentially get a candidate uh, to add to the team. So, my first question is, uh, what made you choose to write about Carter? Because usually you write about you know statistics and <clears throat> salary cap stuff, and this is sort of like different for you. So I'm interested in what it was that you know propelled you to write about uh, Vince. Uh, well, I mean, it was a little bit of a topic of the day with, uh, with those rumors swirling around that, uh, that he might get bought out. Um, but mostly it was spinning off of that. There was a lot of conversations online that, and I'm always online, so I can't, can't avoid those conversations, um, <laughs> where a lot of people were arguing pretty vehemently against bringing Vince Carter back. Mm-hmm. And, uh. And you know, I, I saw it a lot of a lot of places. Uh, there was one particular Twitter thread by another Raptors HQ contributor, uh, Dan Grant, who uh, who put it very well, and I thought it was very eloquent in his description. And I found myself really, really disagreeing with, <laughs> with everything that he said. Yeah. Um, and sort of, I was. <laughs> I'm always getting pestered by uh, by the uh, our our editor at, uh, at Raptors HQ to, to try to write more, uh, more stuff. And, uh, so for once, uh, in my life, I messaged him and said, I want to, I want to write something. Uh, would you, would you put it up? And he said, yeah. So, uh, I just, uh, felt the need to, to sort of vent my, uh, 
my uh, very emotion-based uh, perspective uh, on on Vince and the potential of him coming back. Yeah, uh, it's good. I'm glad you did because it's a great read. Um, so Thanks. you you start by like you detail you know Carter's exit and the ensuing effects. Uh, so I guess my first question about that is like how do you feel about the path that the organization has taken to where we are now? Because there's been obviously a lot of bumps along the road, and there's so many what ifs involved and stuff. But where we are currently is this is the best Toronto's ever been managed at a management uh, point with Ujiri at the helm, obviously. And I'm I'm curious about whether or not you think Toronto could have persevered through bad management and stuff like that if Carter had stayed and, you know, could they have won a title? And obviously there's a lot of other what-ifs involved there, like, you know, does T-Max stay, does he not? But right currently where we're at is, like, we have a potential shot to make the finals. Uh, I'd say that's everybody has uh, the Raptors at that point, I think. Pretty much everybody thinks they can at least make the finals. There's a chance they can get there, um, which is somewhere we've never gotten. And at the same time, we're developing our young guys. So that, that's, that's somewhere we haven't been. So how do you feel about the path we've taken to get to this point? Uh, it's interesting. It's definitely the, these are the golden years of Raptors fandom. Uh, uh, this is when you want to be a Raptors fan. Uh, having lived through all the rest of it, <laughs> it doesn't really compare. It's, it's an interesting thing with, with so much of Raptors history is there's so many what-ifs, there's so many... Who knows what could have happened if some things went differently? Um, yeah. I don't think the Vince Carter teams ever really had the the high ceiling that this team has. Mm-hmm. There's a possibility if T Mac had stayed, but but I think I think the I, I don't think that was the the domino that really people latch onto. If Vince Carter stays uh, and plays well alongside Chris Bosh, um, I suppose there's a possibility. That uh, that the team would would have gone maybe somewhere close to where they are now because I mean Vince and and, and Bosch would have been a pretty similar pairing to what the Raptors currently have in uh, DeRozan and Lowry in terms of star power. Sure. But but it, it, it's it's sort of the 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 fatal flaw in every what if Raptors scenario is it's impossible to say what would have happened if he did stay. You yeah. know. Rob Babcock never makes that terrible trade, never gets canned, and is a terrible general manager for the next several years. Yeah, and ruins it anyway. Who knows? Uh, maybe he's. Maybe we never get Brian Colangelo, and uh, we get something worse. Uh, as hard as that would have been to believe in the middle of his uh, tenure. Yeah, it's 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 kind of hard to 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 look back and and have a clear picture of what could have been. Just because uh, so much of what happened in, in the Raptors' story is just one domino falling after the next. Uh, every step of the way seems to depend on the last failure of the organization. Um, but which, which I mean, le- leads to now, which is great. Um, but the uh, it's, it's hard to, to look back at it and, and really think too much about what it could have been because, um, you know, it, it ended up in a good place with, with your jury being hired to replace Colangelo, obviously, as part of the whole uh, MLSE overhaul when the ownership changed. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know, I, I, I guess my stance on it is, um, considering where we are now, I don't have that many regrets about the way it went. 
even though if you'd asked me mm, four or five years ago, I would have probably had a lot of regrets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's tougher for me, uh, and I'll explain this a bit later too. But like, I'm I'm a younger guy, right? So it's it's tough for me. I wasn't really. Um, I mean, I was alive during the the first uh, golden era, if you want to call it that. But I wasn't cognizant exactly of of, of the level of um, change that was happening through Vince. So, like for you, do you is there is it just a difference, or is there uh, one era that you particularly <clears throat> are enjoying more than the other? Like, did you enjoy the Vince era more? Or, uh, as compared to like where we are right now, or is it just different levels of enjoyment? Or yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I'm not that much older, <laughs> so um, <laughs> yeah. I was the the Vince era was great, but it was really when I was sort of developing as a basketball fan. I didn't yeah, yeah. I, like now. I have a much fuller understanding of the sport sure. that I'd claim to have a particularly full understanding. But compared <laughs> to myself ten years ago, I certainly do, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, Oh, it was a lot more than 10 years ago, wasn't it? 15 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> um, certainly the... Uh, I, I certainly uh, enjoyed this run more fully because of that. But but the Vince Carter era will always have sort of this place in my heart as that was the first team in any sport that I really fell in love with. Mm-hmm. That, uh, it was, you know, it was this, the team that took over you know, your full imagination of, of what could be. Uh, I, uh, I latched onto that Vince Carter Raptors team and sort of, sort of defined the direction I went in as a, as a sports fan, uh, from that point on. Yeah. So like, so like how old were you when Vince, uh, had his duel with Iverson? Uh, 14. Okay, I think. so that would have been like a seminal, if you were like into sports, if you were into basketball by then, that'd be like a seminal moment. Yeah, for sure. So that's that's sort of, that that, and then the year before, which was the dunk contest. Right. Uh, you know, 13, 14, starting high school, sort of finding myself separate from all my friends and my sports uh, uh, selection. Everybody, uh, everybody at uh, that I ever associated with was very much a hockey fan first. And, yeah, yeah. And a basketball fan much further down the list. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, very much a, a summer moment for my, for my sports fandom. Cool. So what was, you'll remember this better than I do, but I just out of curiosity, because I, again, I have, it's, it's different for me. I never really saw Vince in Toronto. Um, and I did see him on the Nets when he was still playing well and everything. But what was it like watching, like prime Vince Carter, just in a regular game? Like, what was it like living in it and realizing what he was at the time? I, as it, I, I don't really think that I realized what he was okay. to the extent that I appreciate it now. Yeah. Um. Now, there's also you know other considerations. Like, I mean, he wasn't a LeBron level superstar. Yeah. Who the statistics would say can power your team to to a championship by himself. Um, you know, he was an all star. He was really the first real all star that that the Raptors had. Um, but but he was the sort of player that you couldn't ever not notice um, when he was on the floor. Every play, he was a 
a constant threat, certainly in the early stages of his career before, um, before he started to, to slow down a bit with the injuries and, and become a little more passive. Um, but uh, I, it seemed like every night there was a highlight and you tuned in to make sure that you didn't miss, even if it was one highlight, <laughs> um, it was something that you probably wouldn't have seen before. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it's hard to describe, but like as a, as a, as a young teenager, whether I thought of it that way or not at the time, I just knew that, um, I was always going to be watching. <laughs> uh, there weren't. I wasn't going to be missing any games uh, when when Vince was playing. Yeah, it, it's interesting. It's one of those things. Like even you talk about like like him as like highlight machine. Like even now, like you know, LeBron jumped over John Lucas the third and dunked uh, on that alley oop dunk, and Giannis just recently had that dunk where he went right over someone. Um, which is crazy, but it's like, you watch that and you're like, you know, I've seen this somewhere before and oh yeah, Vince Carter in the Olympics. Like, yeah. And he jumped over a seven footer. Yeah. And he jumped over a seven footer. Like, it's insane. Like his highlights, like he just watching him, even just going back and watching, you know, uh, not just highlights, but games. He, he just had so much, uh, you're right. Like so much, uh, like a, almost like a spotlight on him at all times, even if he didn't want it. But just the way he carried himself and how bouncy he was and how much he stood out, um, yeah. it was it was crazy. And that's and that's just me going back. And I wasn't even living in the moment of, of, uh, you know, like it's like how young players now talk about Jordan. Like they weren't they didn't live in the moment of it, but uh, they kind of recognize what it was as like as best they can without it really being authentic. So like so now, in twenty eighteen, how do you feel about? Carter now because you wrote about him like the idea that he uh like him coming back to the Raptors could be a healing experience um so yeah like how do you feel about that yeah so I I guess I'm at a I'm at a place where um that part of of the Vince experience the the early stages where it was all good times and dunk contests and 50-point games in the playoffs, and uh, all of that sort of, like, that was the, the high point of the of Raptors fandom until very recently. Um, yeah. Nothing else touched that. The Chris Bosh years, you know, there was, there was, there were promising bits and enjoyable teams, but they never really captured people, I don't think, the way that Vince's teams did. Yeah. And... Uh, so the, the, the issue of course, is that, uh, the way Vince's term ended was, was terrible, uh, uh, with, uh, you, you never get perfect reports one way or the other. There's been all sorts of new reporting over the past few years compared to what was reported then. Uh, but there was at the very least Vince sort of played his way out of town, probably made a trade request even if he did kind of try to pull it back at the last minute. And definitely, suddenly was really good with the Nets as soon yep. as the trade happened. Um, and and you know, for for a lot of years, there was a lot of, and myself included, just absolute hatred thrown at the guy um, whenever he came back. 
especially with in those early Bosch uh, playoff years, playing uh, against the Nets during the regular season, there were several several times where where he hit daggers yeah. uh, in big games and and just it seemed like finding new ways to break the hearts of Toronto fans. But basically, my, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, it sort of feels like still uh, that experience is coloring the earlier experience. And sort of what I was trying to argue with the article is that, you know, it's it, right now the story ends with Vince leaving. And that's the, that's the last Vince moment that we really have, besides all the times that he came back. Uh, in another jersey and 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 crushed our our souls again. Yeah. Um, and that I would just my thought was, if the Raptors have this chance to add a chapter to the story, even if it's just an epilogue, um, and sort of tie his name back into something positive about the Raptors, then you know that could be. You know, maybe what the fan base needs, and particularly the people that went through the the divorce with uh, with Vince. Um, what the fan base might need was an opportunity to cheer for him again. And uh, and I mean, it, it all builds off of the my belief that he's still able to contribute on the basketball court and would be good depth to have. But, you know, given those things, I think from a, from a story standpoint and from a, a fandom standpoint, it would be uh, a lot more... Uh, interesting and, and entertaining and maybe even healing for the fans for to bring him back than to chase whatever other uh, scratched or waived players are, are out there on the market. Yeah, like, my thoughts on this are kind of complicated. I mean, I, I personally don't need the closure because... I think it's mostly because, like I said, I, I wasn't so, I wasn't there, I wasn't so attached to Vince at the time. I didn't experience the same effects as a lot of Raptors fans. So I understand why um, fans feel like they do need that, or why they hate him, or, you know, whatever. Um, and I don't feel like I need this redemption arc, especially with where the team is at currently. However, I like the idea... Um, because I'm a story lover, <laughs> most of all, <laughs> and the storylines in the NBA are the best, and that's just so, you know, textbook fairy tale that I love it. But I've always been somebody like I would years ago when I was, uh, it might have even been before I was in university, but when I used to write for Hoops Habit for uh, Fansided, I wrote an article about Vince Carter back way back when the Raptors had decided about bringing him back again uh, previously, and I had said that they didn't need him because we were just dabbling in nostalgia obviously that's a different team than we have now um but i've always been of that mindset where you shouldn't just go for nostalgia for nostalgia sake for nostalgia's sake you know if you're bringing him back if you can have the nostalgia and also have a useful player then that's great it's like when you were saying with your second act where like vince carter is still if he returns you still get that nostalgia but he still has value even at uh you know 40 years old 500 years old however old he is um <laughs> You know, he can still provide actual, um, you know, stuff that matters for the team. He can still, like, if he needs minutes, you know, he, he can still shoot. Uh, he can still play. He still has insane athleticism for how old he is. Um, and uh, I, I, I can't say for certain, but he's always seemed like, you know, if he's happy, he's a good uh, locker room presence. And he seemed like he's grown a lot, obviously, since 
he was young. So yeah, so as I mean, as far as narratives go, he's a, like the best Raptors villain you could possibly have. The Golden <laughs> Sun turned you know to the dark side. Um, he might be even like uh, like a Shakespeare's tragic hero, right? He had it all in Toronto, had his fatal flaw, or he didn't want the spotlight, things like that. Um, made further errors in judgment, wound up never having a ton of playoff success, and then became dead to a lot of Raptors fans. Um, so in that way, he's almost like like the Hamlet of Raptors history. But he's like also, he's never, you know, the thing is, he's never apologized either for his role in leaving, even though, of course, it wasn't all his fault and all that kind of stuff. But he's never apologized, and I feel like, I feel like it would taint the redemption arc a little bit. It might make it seem a little less genuine if he just, if he came back and, uh, you know, he still hadn't done that just because you don't really know if he's doing it because he wants to be with Toronto or just because he just felt like he had to or like he was coerced into it. Um, so I feel like that could kind of maybe affect the purity of a fairy tale ending. But like, I, I don't know. At the same time, it's like so many people have forgiven him and time heals wounds. So Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so two things on, on that. Um, so first, a lot of the reaction I did get to the article was people saying, oh, but he's no good anymore. Um, <laughs> so I kept saying, oh, I'm going to have to write a whole other article about why we should actually, why, why basketball-wise, <laughs> we should go get Pittsburgh. The intent of this yeah. article was really to, to address not the basketball questions because – the, the fundamental truth about these uh, veteran buyout guys that hit the market every year is these are the guys that these really bad teams that have these veteran players on them, they could not find a single trade for these guys to get them the slightest bit of value. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get cash. They couldn't get a second-round pick that's protected for the top 50. They got nothing. So in general, the guys that hit the market like this, with a few exceptions, are generally going to be 15th man candidates, and that's basically it. Um, They're there for depth. They're there as quite often a veteran locker room presence. Um, But among that group, you know, there's there's a good statistical argument that Vince actually is still pretty good, Uh, (laughs) especially if you give him a few days off uh, of rest which is an interesting split to look at with him being, you know, 500 years old, as you put it. Um, which, of course, comes in real handy in the playoffs when every game there's at least uh, a couple of days rest between them. Um, so so that's, that's the one thing is that, yes, I did get a lot of people saying, yeah, but he's no good. And I, I think he's good. And if I thought he was terrible, I wouldn't have even bothered uh, to, to join in the conversation. Um uh, but the second thing, um, I, I 100% agree with you and anyone else who says that Vince doesn't deserve to come back because he hasn't apologized, and I suspect that he never will. Um, I imagine that from his perspective, there was a lot more harm done to him than by him uh, during those years. Mm-hmm. Um and even with him maturing, I imagine that apologizing, even to the fans, which would be a great gesture and probably something that ideally he would do, um, even apologizing to the fans would probably feel a little too much like apologizing to the people that ran the team at the time. Uh, who, I mean, to speak honestly, 
wasted a good chunk of Vince's career uh, with terrible management and terrible team building. Um, and, you know, and that all, led, that all, of course, rolled into not just because of the management, also because of Vince, but it did all roll into him end up being just this hated figure for over a decade in the city that he became a star in. Um, so, uh, I think his quasi apologies, his, I wish it had gone differently sort of comments are probably the best we're ever going to get. And, and for some fans, and I understand the point of view, they need the apology. Um, I guess, uh, for me, I've just gotten to the point where I really don't hold on to that need from so long ago. Um, Vince is essentially a different person now than he was then. Um, so the apology coming from him now would be coming from a different person anyway. And honestly, I, I was really kind of buying into, I kind of just want a nice story. And for me personally, I don't need the apology for the story to, to turn out well. I mean, it's already turned out pretty well. Like we have to keep in mind that you know the Raptors' story is right now at a very good point, um, and I guess I personally was willing to overlook Vince's role as a bit of an anti-hero uh, in the middle of the story uh, and try to bridge the two brightest points of the story so far, um, purely, purely again for. You know, the NBA is full of these great stories, and I wouldn't mind having uh, one of those great stories happening here. I mean, the, there's already a great story happening here, but I mean, I wouldn't mind rolling in a little bit more, a bit of a boost to the, the, the storylines this year, um, heading into what should be, hopefully, uh, the most successful season uh, for the Raptors so far. Yeah, it'd be like an icing on, icing on the cake kind of thing. Um... Yeah. Yeah, it would be definitely it'd be cool. Um, like, imagine imagine seeing Vince again in like on a throwback night where they're wearing the purple jerseys. That that'd be kind of cool. I just want to see the purple jerseys again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. Would be great. They're still gorgeous. They get, yeah, they really got to bring those back. Yeah, they really do. I love those. I I even like I'll take those over the husky jersey any day. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, so, and talking about, uh, the, the, like, the buyout market with buyout guys. So, like, obviously the Raptors, there was a report uh, a little bit ago by, I think Michael Grange was the first to drop it, maybe, but um, the, the Raptors aren't looking to bring in Carter this year. Um, yeah. The main reason being that they think it might distract the team or be a distraction, um, kind of have, like, a sideshow. Uh, but do you think he'll eventually return someday? Like, even if it's just, like, a Paul Pierce thing where he returns for like a day and signs, you know, and then he retires. Yeah. I mean, he, he's made comments like that where, where he says that, you know, it feels like, you know, he's destined to retire as a Raptor and do the, do at least the, the, the last minute signing sort of thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I could see it happening next year if he, if he was brought in, uh, at the minimum, they're going to be in, a bit of a tough spot with the tax. They're going to need to fill out some roster spots <clears throat> uh, using minimum signings. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if if Vince ended up being one of those. Um, which, uh, 
or, or or it could just be that you know maybe not uh, while he's playing and just just once he retires, give him that old the the Paul Pierce uh, uh, one day signing sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> I, I imagine it will happen. It, it feels sort of inevitable, um, which is part of why I, I tried to 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 address it now. Where it's like if 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 that's gonna be the end, I feel like that would be a little bit anticlimactic for the ups and downs that the team has gone through with and without Vince. That it's like, oh, and they, you know, it's nice they bring him back to, to, to retire as a Raptor. And, you know, but uh, I just think there's a lot more potential for the story where, you know, if you, you tie him actually into the team again uh, before his retirement, it would be, uh, I, I'd prefer it. As a totally selfish, the team should do what I want uh, <laughs> point of view. Uh, that's I would lean more to that, but I, I, it's gonna one way or the other. I suspect it will happen, uh, which is another reason why I was trying to get ahead of it and convince people that you know we should we should even if even if nobody agrees with me, everybody should brace themselves <laughs> for eventually bringing Vince back in the fold because I really do think it's gonna happen. Yeah, destiny. Right. Could be destiny. Um, yeah, so, you know, talk about, again, um, so Vince isn't coming. Uh, the Raptors are still obviously in the market for a bio candidate. And some uh, players that we've looked at before uh, when the, you know, when the trade deadline first passed have already signed elsewhere. Uh, Joe Johnson was a big one that people were really interested in, mostly, I think, because of his history of just torching the Raptors. Um <laughs> He signed in the West. That's all that matters. But he did sign in the West. He signed with Houston. <laughs> uh, thank goodness we won't see him in the playoffs. Oh my God! If he had signed with Washington, I might have just like, I don't know, like died on the inside. Um, but he didn't. Uh, so he's gone. So there aren't too many candidates out there right now. There are. There's going to be more. Obviously, bought out as time goes on. Um, but the one that has come up most recently is Aaron Aflalo, and I know you have some feelings on that. <laughs> yeah. And people have been uh, at you on Twitter about it a bit, too, I've seen. Well, it's, you know, I, I don't want to, I'm sure, uh, I, I don't want to step on, on Aaron's toe. I'm sure he's, he's you know, still better than 99% of the world at basketball. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, in terms of the way he's he's played uh, this year in particular, but also over the last half decade, uh, he's not very good anymore on mm-hmm. either end of the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still hitting a decent number of his threes, uh, mm-hmm. but not not like a marksman who who you'd forgive nothing else uh, in the repertoire. Um, for example, anyone that, that was thinking, oh, Vince Carter's 41 and doesn't have it anymore, you know, Carter grades out as, you know, an above average, somehow still an above average uh, impact player by various metrics, RPM or PIPM. Uh, both grade him pretty well and, and, you know, below average, but you know, positive contributor in terms of win share is a good measure for actual production. Um, and that's, and that's on a bad team. So 
But at the same time, Aaron Aflalo is playing on a bad team, uh, playing limited minutes like Vince's, and he's grading out as among the worst players in the league by all of those statistics. Um, he's he's just not very good anymore. So, I mean, my, my stance was, like, if you want to pass over the potential for the storyline with Vince Carter for a guy like Marco Bellinelli, who's a real shooter and can do stuff beyond shoot as well, he can handle the ball, he can run some offense, um, even if he's a defensive sieve. Or uh, Ursan Ilyasova, if he gets fought out, would be an interesting uh, match at power forward. Um, that all kind of makes sense. Mind you, all of those guys are going to sign somewhere else because the Raptors, unlike most other teams uh, who are in the market right now, don't have minutes to offer anybody. Uh, mm-hmm. Raptors, which is part of why I, the Vince uh, storyline made sense to me as, as something they could do with this this veteran uh, this veteran buyout option that could provide some value to the fandom even if the reality is he's unlikely to play much. I mean, even if they give him a small minute consistent roll off the bench, it's not going to change the fortunes of the team much. Um, because the guys that could, in theory, change the fortunes of the team, I don't think the team wants to send a guy like Pascal Siakam to the bench, never to play again, to put a floor spacer uh, in his place. Um, uh I don't think that the team wants to do that, so they're going to miss out on most of the guys who are actually pretty decent on the market. They're going to be settling for somebody like Aaron Aflalo, who, you know, would 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 pretty much literally just be a voice in the room, uh, uh, a veteran player. Now, I don't think that Aaron Aflalo is a great choice for veteran voice in the room player because you want that guy to be somebody who's been there before and had a lot of playoff experience and yeah he's been on terrible teams for the better part of the last decade i don't think that his experience is all that relevant to the the modern playoff landscape uh but but you know that's so that's the sort of the the angle i took with evaluating bio guys is Anybody who's really going to make a difference is too good for the Raptors to sign. Uh, so what they're looking for is, is just veteran leadership, maybe a little bit of stability of the bench, uh, and depth. And I don't think Aaron Flalo provides any of that. <laughs> so I'm a little disappointed with that uh, that rumor in particular. Uh, but uh, And I'm, I'm generally disappointed that, th- that they've decided to move past the Vince thing, obviously considering I wrote 2,000 words on on why they should do it, but uh, but uh, but yeah, I'll latch onto a new subject. I'll start the bring back Chris Bosh chance instead of Vince. Yeah, not yeah, technically out of the running yet. Yeah, so I, I was gonna get to that, and uh, just with the follow thing too. Like I think you know a lot of casual fans or even even just fans, but they, you know they don't get the chance to watch necessarily the bad teams and stuff. A lot of fans, I feel like. Uh, they remember the bio candidates who a lot of the times were at one point a really good player and they remember that player from years ago and they go, Oh yeah, this like, you know, he could, I'm sure he could, even if he's a little worse, he could still some, but like some of these guys, like a flalo has fallen off a cliff. He has, um, you know, I mean, he's, he's averaging like what? It was something like 3.2 points a game this year. 
Like, yeah, like, no, he's not yeah. playing a lot of minutes. But it, it's true, it's but true. But I mean, like, even even, even twelve minutes, like, come on, man. Yeah, but like, if you, even if you look past the raw point per game total, his field, his three point percentage is decent. His field goal percentage yeah. is horrendous. Yeah, uh, he turns it over a lot. Yeah, he, he, his advanced stats are awful. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 not, and, and he just essentially does nothing besides shoot and mostly shoot poorly uh mm-hmm. so it's it's you're not getting much with that guy yeah i think the i think really the big thing here is the connection he has to Masai. um i, I, I guess like but I, again like his connection to Masai goes back to before this core this raptors core even existed yeah like we're true. talking about six seven years ago he was playing for Masai's team yep that is true um yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure the Raptors, like you said, are going to get someone necessarily much better than a Flalo. Again, I, I am a little disappointed in this too, just because for me, the biggest thing was trying to bring in a guy who has that uh, locker room presence that maybe has like, you know, at least a significant amount of playoff experience. Not necessarily someone who's been to the finals before, but at least someone who's been in the moment of like a game seven or something. Um, and obviously like our core guys, like, you know, Kyle and... Demar have been in game sevens and stuff, but you know, just someone who's been in, been in more, maybe been in it, been in the thick of it with a different team, you know, stuff like that. Um, it's why uh, it's why Perkins, the Cavs were looking at Perkins, who they apparently are not going to sign now because they just uh, offered is it Marcus Thornton a ten day contract. Um, yeah. So you know that kind of stuff, but um, yeah. So I mean. You talked about uh, Bosch. Now, this was interesting. I saw you bring this up on Twitter a little bit ago about um, maybe bringing back CB4. And it's really interesting because his whole case is, you know, he wants to make an NBA comeback. He never really wanted to leave. But because of his health concerns, he had to. And teams are going to be really, really, really hesitant about giving him a spot because because of these health concerns. Um, but I like the idea... Uh, as especially as a guy who's been to the finals, he's won two championships. Um, so talk a bit about Chris Bosh. Yeah, I mean, like ideally, sure, if he can play, he's actually like an ideal candidate for the Raptors. Like, imagine if if Chris Bosh could come back and even produce at like half of what he used to, um, as a stretch four who can rebound really well, which essentially fixes all the issues that the bench <laughs> has ever had fixes all the issues that our small ball lineups with Ibaka at center have, uh, it would be sort of a magical cure. It would, sort of, it would, in that case, that would be one guy that would push Siakam probably to a smaller role or completely out of the lineup for the playoffs, which would be you know, a, a shame for him. But, I mean, when you get a chance to add somebody like Chris Bosh, who's awesome, you do that. Uh, the reality is, in all likelihood, there's not one doctor who will likely clear Bosch to play. If, if they do, then great. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, good for him. Uh, I expect that he won't find that. Um, uh, just, I mean, I don't really have any basis for that, but the fact that he's not currently playing yeah. when I'm sure any team in the league would take him for the minimum salary, if that's all he really wants is to play, yeah. uh, I imagine he's had no luck uh, getting himself cleared. But if if he's working towards that goal and wants to reintroduce himself to being in the NBA and 
in NBA GMs and coaches in their the forefront of their minds and being seen at NBA games sort of thing. Um, it would be an interesting storyline if he came back to the Raptors uh, on just a minimum contract, and they probably they wouldn't play him because of the medical concerns, but he can still sign a contract. There's nothing stopping that from happening. Um, and and just be there on the bench as in the locker room as as that veteran steady presence. He's been there a lot, much more than anybody else in the team has. Uh, and I mean, not only is he used to be a Raptor, but I mean, he does. He was a teammate of Demar Derozan's for a season before he left. So it's not like he's completely disconnected from the team uh, either. Um, so I, I, you know, I think I think it'd be an interesting move. I mean, if he has other options, then great, so be it. But I think it'd be an interesting move for both uh, the team and 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 Bosch to sort of uh, you know get him back into the into the NBA zeitgeist and uh, for the team to add a little bit of veteran presence. Because uh, I mean, if the guys they're adding are somebody like Aaron Flolo, who you know, to put it frankly, even in the case of dramatic injuries is not going to provide any real value to you on the basketball court. You know, Chris Bosh, not playing at all, can provide about that amount of basketball value, <laughs> but maybe is a better presence in the locker room in terms of uh, playoff experience, uh, sort of connection with the fan base and the franchise. Um, and, you know, along the same lines of the Vince Carter thing where, you know, tie up some loose ends with recent Raptor history and, and sort of... Uh, None of the story along uh, in this uh, this season where you know so many things are going going right for the team. Yeah, I would definitely take uh, Bosch over a flaw. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> even <laughs> even if he wasn't playing, uh, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the good news is too, if he were to come back, he wouldn't. Uh, I don't think he would cause the same sort of sideshow that Vince would. Um, or any sort of distraction. I think I do think he's like one of the best possible uh, locker room guys. Everyone always talks about how great Chris Bosh is, and he always provides media with great quotes. And um, I I feel really bad for him. I have ever since he stopped playing, uh, just because I I honestly think he'll never play again in the NBA um, because those health concerns are so scary. Um, and obviously, like you know, if that's the way it is, then good because we want him to live a long, happy life. Um, sure. but, uh, I, yeah, I do feel bad for him, but even if he were to come back, he's been out of the league, what, like two years now? So do you think, do you think he'd be, uh, he, he had a joke on like, um, it was a like TNT or something he was on recently where he said like, yeah. oh yeah, like shooting threes and playing no defense. Like I could do that. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, like, do you think like being out two years, like he, could he come in and provide like solid minutes in the playoffs? Like, well, instantly? I mean, I, I don't. I don't expect him to come in and play 36 minutes a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, if you want him for 10 minutes a game, two five-minute spurts off the bench, mm-hmm. I don't see why he wouldn't be able to provide that. I mean, besides, uh, just setting aside the, the health concerns, obviously, um, you know, he, he, he claims to be have kept himself in shape. I imagine he's, pract- he's still practicing his shot every day. He very much intends to play. Um, yeah. So I don't think that's something he'd let lapse. Uh I'm, I'm sure he's he's in shape and and can shoot the ball and it may take him a little time to get into full NBA shape, uh, 
but at short minutes, it's not. I don't know that it's as big a concern as it would be if you um, had him. If you if you, you had him as a core piece of your team, that would be a concern. Like I mean, uh, part of why I I wonder whether he could potentially make a comeback is, you know, Miami. It was very important for Miami to get him off their books because, you know, it, even if if you if you make the assumption that, you know, the team can monitor his health and if anything happens, they can shut him down quickly and make sure he's safe. You know, that's the scenario where, where you could see a comeback, if, if that's possible. Um, but Miami had him on the books for $25 million a year as a core centerpiece of their team. And you can't have a core centerpiece of your team who you might have to shut down at a moment's notice for an indefinite period of time. So, you know, it, it's hard to parse, you know, all the motives. You, you like to think that everybody only had, let's make sure Chris is healthy uh, as their motivation. But, um, but there were, there are um, other team building considerations that Miami had to, had to deal with, with, with Bosch's uh, health concerns um, that, that really aren't there for any team that picks him up cheap. Um, if, if, you know, if he could possibly, uh, play, it wouldn't have to be a big role. He wouldn't have to ride 35 minutes a night like he would if he was making his $25 million. You're picking up for the minimum. You're just basically giving him, uh, a contract that's commensurate with the value of a off the bench player who's just going to come in and provide a spark here and there. Um, so I mean, if if Bosch's health can hold up to to that uh, level of play, then then you know he might be able to actually make that comeback. Um, but I have no idea whether it's anywhere near as simple as that uh, for him. Yeah, I wish the best for CB4, man. I loved him. Dreads Bosch, never forget. Oh yeah. I went to a game where uh, when I was in high school and. It was against Atlanta, I'll never forget it, St. Patrick's Day, everybody was wearing green, and mm. we won the game on a Chris Bosch turnaround baseline jumper, patented. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, I love Chris Bosch, I'm so happy he won two titles. Um, I always despise those St. Patty's Day uniforms, though, because they always look like the Celtics. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Now, like, now, like, I've, I've never enjoyed them either. They're just <laughs> green, like... Like, come on, like, I don't know. It's, yeah. just, it's the same thing with the cameo, uh, the camo jerseys, like... Uh, I mean, I I love the notion behind them. The, the reason, sentiment, yeah. yeah, the sentiment's great, but uh, those things are ugly, man. <laughs> I can't I can't look at them like uh, you know. Yeah. And then there's all the jokes about oh, where are the Raptors on the court? We can't see them. I'm like yeah, okay, <clears throat> you know. It's like it reminds I, me of back when they uh, they had those during the Colangelo years. I guess it was the Bosch years as well. Um, where they had those signs on the baseboards. The, the baselines. Oh, the 3D ones? Uh, the 3D signs. Yeah. <laughs> and it was constant jokes about, oh, no, the players are going to trip. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff gets old real fast. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I just want to talk about the, the writing aspect, like, as writing um, for a second, because that's one of the things I like to talk about on this podcast as well. So, like, this was a different kind of writing for you, like I said earlier, and you talked about, but, like, did you enjoy writing this type of, more of, like, a story-driven article, and would you do more of them? Yeah, I mean, I did enjoy it. Um, I find, 
I've actually I've, I've written a lot less this year. I mean, in previous years, I used to have like a weekly uh, article based on stats. Um, where and and when I when I write even a stats based article, I usually tr- like to try to have a story to tell, where I'll start with a certain assumption or hypothesis uh, or problem, and I'll try to to sort of walk. Uh, the reader through my thought process and my research process as I try to figure out, you know, what are the what are the underlying issues here and what can what can be done to fix them, uh, and what obvious fixes are maybe not quite as 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 obvious as they seem. Um, so I mean, I always try to tie in a bit of a story uh, to the process. Um, that said, I usually have a very concrete. Uh, idea to start with and um, one of the reasons I sort of stepped back from writing this year was it was getting difficult to consistently come up with that concrete idea that I, I find I sort of need I need like the this this core fundamental question uh, that I can usually based on that I can usually come up with a bunch of different ways to, to approach it and and uh, and points to make about it um, mm-hmm. But if I don't have that, uh, I find myself generally scrambling, and and I can't uh, put together something that's cohesive and has a has a beginning, middle, and end. Um, then I have a hard time writing anything at all. Um, so for this sort of thing, in this case, I had this this these online uh, conversations sort of uh, triggered something in me where I sort of you know, felt I needed to counter some points that were being made, or at least explore some points that were being made. And and based off that, Colonel, I, I, I sort of just sort of went with it um, and was able to build uh, enough of a storyline um, in the article that I felt felt good about about writing it. Um, I don't I don't know how easily it would come for me to to do more stuff like this. Uh, I very rarely feel strongly about a topic and can't support it with evidence. Typically, if I if I have an argument to make, it'll be about something measurable. Uh, I usually feel strongly about stuff because I'll observe it, and usually if you can observe something in a basketball game, it shows up in a stat somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, with Vince... Uh, this whole discussion it was very very different uh, than that uh, I ha- there, there was underlying stuff about how he's still good that I probably could have written about uh, my usual way but uh, essentially it was it was um, it was that, that that central kernel of I'm seeing these conversations online I, I disagreed with so much so vehemently with some of the things that are being said uh, and for reasons that I, I don't know that I really understood myself until I went through the process of writing the the article um, and I don't often have that reaction uh, to, to more qualitative stuff um, so I mean I, I'm certainly uh, I'd certainly be willing to write another thing like this I don't know how capable I am of that, depending on the the content I'd be writing about. <laughs> well, this one was really good, so I would say you're quite capable. I I, oh, uh, I, I uh, think the 
it's interesting. I I tend to have if I can't come up with a title for whatever piece I'm writing, uh, I tend to think that my focus on it isn't strong enough, and um, mm. I will scrap it that way because it's sort of like you don't. In depending on what kind of article you're writing, you don't always have a thesis necessarily, um, or a thesis kind of statement, but to have that core idea, I find that it always pops up in your title for whatever your article is. Um, and I try to be a little, a little elaborate with my titles, I like to add a little flair to them, even if they sound sometimes like you're reading like a magazine or something like some cosmopolitan thing or something, hopefully not that bad, but you know, uh, <laughs> but I, I find that those, those, um, things like that can help cement, uh, you know, what you're working on and, uh, and sort of, guide you that way um so you have this piece broken down into uh, into sections three sections the destiny part the story and the question so i just out of curiosity did you write it in order or did you do one part beforehand or yeah no i i basically always write in order okay and <laughs> i'm a terrible example for people because i'm a i'm awful at editing <laughs> so essentially, if I don't get it right the first time, then it's going to be a mess. Um, so usually I have an idea of at least where I want to end up as I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I keep that in mind. Uh, uh, sort of in a, I don't, I don't formally write out a structure for it, but I have, I have something conceptual uh, in mind. So I mean, I definitely uh, sometimes I'll go back. Uh, certainly for the structure like the little, the subtitle sections and things I tend to add at the end. Um, because, you know, then I get, I have a better idea looking back on it, exactly what, uh, what the themes are of each sort of section of the, the article. Um, but certainly I would, I, I usually, it's funny that I titled it this way and that it's, it's, it really is. I tend to start off with a thesis statement. Um, which in this case is destiny. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I tend to explore in the middle of part of an article, sort of uh, ask questions about it, uh, come up with answers that I think line up with the questions. And then, and then you know, at the end, I try to circle back to the thesis and, and try to answer it. But... Uh, but yeah, I, I I definitely always write it in order, and I I have a very hard time going back and, and taking stuff out or adding things, which is why I always have to apologize to the uh, to, to to Daniel Reynolds, the uh, the editor over at uh, at HQ, because uh, my stuff does tend to skew long, <laughs> uh, just because I, I I find I can't take anything out. I get very attached to everything that I that I that I write which is a, a very poor um, habit to have gotten into but uh, it's one I'm stuck with yeah no I feel you man especially um, especially when you're writing something like this that's like it's got so much like sentimental you know value in it um, oh I'd love to use that excuse but I do the exact same thing with stats salary posts so oh well I tried to give you an I'm out. sorry that doesn't that doesn't help me <laughs> Um, so last writing question. This is a question I always ask. I ask every writer this because this is like something I'm weirdly interested in. Um, I talked to George, Con- uh, Condolian. I always want to say Condolian. Condolian 
on our first uh, on my first podcast, and uh, he and I both share a similar writing quirk where we need to have for him he needs to drink a lot of water like while he's writing he said he drinks like an insane amount like jugs of water basically um mm. for me it's like i just need to have a glass there it, i don't need to necessarily go through that much water but i need to have a glass there while i'm writing otherwise i feel like something is off do you have anything that's like a quirk while you're working that you need oh i don't know that i have any particular quirks um I usually uh, will be listening to music. Oh, okay. Um, uh, which, I mean, I, I do that at work as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I find I always have to have something pumping into my ears. Uh, if I'm sitting there in quiet, I can't uh, focus very well. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's not particularly quirky. Um, but, uh, but no, when I, when I start writing, I can't stop in the middle uh, and I don't think that I'd be able to stop for long enough to take a drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, I find that I, I just I just have to go yeah. um, with it. Um, to the extent that, for example, on, on, on stats-based articles, um, I'll do some research beforehand just so that I have an idea of roughly the shape of, of what I'm doing. Um, but I'll write sections and leave spots for the actual numbers uh, because... Because I know I know roughly what the numbers are going to tell me, um, but instead of breaking to go grab the actual numbers, uh, I sort of stick with just just keep moving with the words, <laughs> keep the keep the narrative flowing, and then uh, I come back to fill in uh, stuff like that. Um, not particularly quirky, but it's uh, all I've got. That's cool, though. I do that too. Similarly. Um... So you, you write the whole thing at once, like you don't, you never leave a piece and come back to it. I've done it. I, I've had times where I'm writing a piece and it's either late at night or for whatever reason I have to stop. And those are the hardest pieces I've ever had to write where I come back to it and it's it's like you lose a train of thought. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I absolutely am definitely at my best when I write sit in a single sitting and just, just go all the way to the end. Um, and then occasionally, occasionally I'll finish an article and I'll I'll submit it and then I'll think of something and I want to go back to put it in and I can't find a place to put it because oh, it okay. feels like it's out of flow. Yeah. Uh, so I, I can't find a spot where it's like I want to break the, the, the flow of the article to put in this new information. New information that I really want in there, but I, often I can't find a spot for it. <laughs> so I'll, I'll like tweet about it after. <laughs> After I after I publish, and I'll say, oh, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. after you've read that story, this is very useful additional information. Yeah, writer's note. Um, <laughs> yeah, the like I uh, I I was re- I was real bad for that. I've always kind of worked in a similar way where like even in university, you know, you'd have like a uh, professor would tell you, you know, you, your paper is due in like a month. Uh, you should be starting it now. And I swear, like I never began until like the weekend before. And then oh, I would no. sit down on a Saturday and I would write the entire thing on a Saturday and then just be done. And yeah. that, that's kind of, it's probably like the worst way to work. Like listeners, if you're out there, like it, don't do it. Yeah, don't do this. Yeah, it's don't really don't listen to me at all. Like, I mean, I made it through and all that stuff, but like, yeah, don't do it. Um, it only works for some people, uh, but that's the way I've always done it. So it's probably just because I've never developed good habits, but um, that's, uh, yeah, that's how I write. So I totally, I totally understand that. Um 
Yeah, so we're pretty much done here, running out of time, so I'll wrap this thing up. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug before we go? Uh, I don't really have anything that uh, is going up anytime soon, which my editor will be furious with me about. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, always go over to, you can always find me at Raptors HQ or on Twitter uh, at dhackett1565, uh, spewing nonsense about the Raptors and salary cap stuff, things like that. Yeah, go follow Daniel on Twitter because he's one of the smartest Raptors fans I know and uh, the guy that I always go to when I have any questions about anything salary crap related or anything like that because uh, I still do not understand like three quarters of that stuff, but I'm learning. Um, <laughs> so thanks for coming on again, Daniel. Um, yeah, no worries. Really appreciate it. You'll be able to find the Writers Write podcast on bumpers.fm or the Bumpers app. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at WritersWritePod, uh, where links to the episodes will be updated and posted. Until then, you can follow me at Howvolution on Twitter, and find my own work online at Raptors Republic, B-Ball Breakdown, and Scene Creek. Thanks for listening.